who here has ever been in love? Raise your hand. If you've ever been in love, raise your hand. Okay, you can put them down. I like that, Jim, too. Okay, next question. Who here has ever done something really stupid because you were in love with someone? Wow, really? There's some of you who don't have your hands raised. and That kind of, I guess maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm an outlier. I, I've done some really stupid things before. I've done things that, like, had absolutely nothing to do with my own emotional self-preservation for love. I've done things that are really stupid physically for love. I remember when um, Christy and I were dating, she was at school in Western, up at Bellingham, which is about, I don't know, sweetie, like five hours one way. Yeah. She says it depends who drives. But it's about five hours. I can say it's about five hours one way. And I would like, I would work, and then I'd get off work at like five o'clock, you know, six o'clock at night, and then I would drive up to Bellingham, like, exhausted sometimes on like a Friday night so that I could spend the weekend with her and then drive back Sunday Sunday evening and I remember a few times you know when you're driving and you feel like your eyes are just starting to close you have to blink them really quick I remember one time I was in this old red Buick it was just a giant like monster of a Buick and like I'm driving down so I'm going over Snoqualmie Pass and I literally, like, I'm blasting Journey so that I can stay awake. And, you know, it's Journey. Um, so I'm blasting Journey. I've got my window rolled down. It's like midnight just to try to stay awake because I'm so tired. But because I loved my then fiance, because uh, we were engaged for like a year and a half or so before we got married, something like that, something like that. My math's not always the best. Um, I remember like driving just, and I'm, if anybody who knows me, I'm a morning person. Um, you know, blessedly I'm not one of those cheery, super happy morning people. I'm just more aware in the morning. I'm, I function better in the morning and I am not a night person by any means. Like 10 o'clock rolls around and I turn into a pumpkin. I just, it's not like I get tired. And so here's me at midnight driving and, like, window rolled down. It's probably, like, 40 degrees because um, I'm up in the mountains and my music's blasting. I'm doing everything I can to stay awake. And I fall asleep. Like, and all of a sudden, like, I'm startled awake because you know those things on the side of the road that are plastic and they stand up tall and they got the reflectors? Those are called slap strips. And those are there for stupid people like me who should not be driving and I'm so tired, and I fall asleep, and that slap strip like hits the front of the, the car and goes, whack, like to wake you, make you wake up. And like I, that happened a couple times because I was just so tired. If I had been smart, I would have pulled over somewhere and just like slept a little bit and then kept driving. But I wasn't. I'm like, you know, I'm 20-something, and, you know, that whole risk assessment part of your brain isn't fully developed yet. And so you just do things. God, Jesus, did some really stupid stuff for love. Stuff that was not preserving his physical health. Stuff that was not preserving his emotional health. 
Stuff that he didn't have to do. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That doesn't make any sense. But we do stupid things for love. We do things that don't make sense for love. Jesus didn't have to leave the perfection of heaven where everything was good and he suffered no pain. He had no physicality that could be broken and bruised and damaged and bleeding and sore. He didn't have people up there who would turn their back on him, pretend not to know him. He didn't have to suffer any of the things he suffered. And yet, for God so loved the world, This Christmas season, as you're walking through Christmas, I want you to remember that phrase, for God so loved the world. Because that's what Christmas is about. That God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus. So that whoever believed in him would not have to perish, but that we would all have eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for loving us so well. Thank you, God, for not being smart. I don't mean that in any kind of silly way. I mean smart as far as like preserving himself. He chose to make himself vulnerable for you. He chose to make himself vulnerable for me. That's Christmas. That's what Christmas is really about. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness or compassion, then make, this is Paul speaking, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit and in one mind. Philippians 2, 1 through 2. Moved by the same love as Jesus, we can truly become one in Spirit and in mind despite our differences, right? Despite our differences. We may be different politically. We may be different racially. We may be different socioeconomically. There's lots of things that can make us different from each other, right? But if we have the same love as Jesus, we truly can have unity. We truly can become in one mind and spirit. If, like God, we're willing to do stupid things for love. We're willing to set aside our self-preservation. If we're willing to not be safe, sometimes it's not safe to love people. Now, I want to make a caveat here. If somebody's being abusive to you, that's not love. And God doesn't want you to be abused. God doesn't want you to suffer mental, emotional, sexual, physical. You know, he doesn't want you to be hurt that way, right? And so that's not love. But our being able to be uncomfortable, to step out of our belief system sometimes, I think about Jesus with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And like, you know, I talked early in the year about this blood feud that the Jews and the Samaritans had with each other. 
and how much they hated each other. And here's Jesus waltzing right through the middle of Samaria for love and sitting with a single woman who's a known adulteress by himself at the well for love and telling her, breaking all of the Jewish social norms for love. Because he wanted her to have the eternal water. He wanted her to know about salvation. He wanted her to know about what God did. And that was more important to him. That was more important to him than this blood feud between the Jews and the Samaritans. My mother-in-law, we were visiting with her this last weekend. Her favorite bird is the hummingbird. She loves hummingbirds. She has a little hummingbird feeder that we got her outside her window. And she's like, even in the middle of winter, you'll see her. She's like melting down sugar water to pour in there so that the hummingbirds can eat. Like she does this daily because she loves these little hummingbirds. It's this hardworking machine. It's this tiny little bird. But this thing is a, is a machine. It beats its wings up to 80 times per second per second. And yet you see them fly around and they look graceful, right? They're just fluttering around and they flit around and they just move and, and they just look so graceful and effortless. But their little bodies are working hard. That's why they need so much sugar because they're burning it off. They're a little bit like Barry Allen for anybody. That was for me and Ben. But like, for, you know, like they work hard. You got it? Oh, good. Uh, yeah, you know, the flash, he works really hard and so he has to have a lot of fuel so that the flash can run really fast. Hummingbirds are a little bit like the flash. Jesus asks us of many things in Scripture. So why is learning to love others so hard? This little hummingbird's a metaphor for what someone who's learned to love well can look like. Having this grace in motion. Love's hard work. It takes difficult choices in the unseen moments when no one else is around to applaud you. Like loving Learning to love by reflex, like reflexively loving people, is really difficult. Um, anybody who's ever done any kind of sports or martial arts, there's this thing called muscle memory. And you have to learn muscle memory. Um, I played basketball from the time I was, I don't know, fifth grade, sixth grade, something like that, um, all the way through my senior year in high school. And I was never great but I was solid. Um, I was never a really good shooter. I was a good defensive player. I was a little more of a Dennis Rodman, not just because we both like to wear dresses, but a few people got that. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> but like, he was a really good defensive player for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, Dennis Rodman crushed defense. Like People would go to the other side of the court just so they wouldn't have to go up against Rodman because he was such a good defensive player. And that was just through muscle memory. Like he learned over and over to shut people down and to block shots and to steal balls. And like you only get that good if you do it over and over and over. Love is the same way. You have to do it over and over and over. You have to lay down sometimes your own rights. You have to lay down sometimes your own opinions. Anybody who's been married for a little while knows this one. Like, you know, sometimes it has to be like, you know what? I don't really want to do this, but my partner loves it, so we're going to do it. It's not my favorite thing. But because I love them, 
will do the thing. And that's building that muscle memory of love. That's building that ability of love to at some point, if you've been doing it long enough, to the outside person, it looks effortless because you've just been doing it for so long. Love can look like this. It's difficult sometimes to consider someone who's just so much not like us as being more important than ourselves. Of like holding back our tongues sometimes and instead using our language and our tongues to heal rather than just unleashing fury and anger. Especially when you're hurt, right? If somebody hurts you or somebody says something that's mean to you or somebody does something to you that's really painful. It, we, we want vengeance, right? We want to lash out. We want to put them in their place. We want them to know just how much they hurt us. And so learning not to do that, learning to love instead, to give, to extend forgiveness. There are so many scriptures about forgiveness and about how God views forgiveness. To me, the one that I always land on is like, God is going to forgive us to the extent that we forgive others. I'm like, wow. I know like how much I want God to forgive me. So I better figure out forgiving other people that much. Because <laughs> I know how much I mess up and how much, like, what my heart looks like sometimes. And if I want God to forgive me, I better figure out how to forgive other people to that same level, right? That's hard. It is not easy. It's easy to say hard to do, right? Easy to say and hard to do. But learning to love looks like this hummingbird. We work hard. 80 beats per second, right? He's flapping his little wings. 80 beats per second. At some point, if we get good enough, it looks easy. It's like, why, why is that person able to forgive people so easily? Why is that person able to love people so easily? Why is that person able to extend grace to others so easily? Here's the answer. It's not so easily. It took lots of work. It took lots of practice. It put lots of laying down someone's own rights. It took lots of them putting others in front of themselves. It put lots of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness rather than my own. It takes work. This is my absolute favorite quote of all time by C.S. Lewis. It's my favorite one ever. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies, little luxuries, and void all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. 
But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love it all is to be vulnerable. And that's what Jesus calls us to. To make yourself, to willingly make yourself vulnerable. I remember going back to my basketball analogy. One thing the coach always asked us to do is if someone was driving a lane, to get in front of them and set yourself so that they run into you, potentially knocking you down so they get it, so there's a foul so you can get a couple shots. Right? To purposely put yourself in a vulnerable position where you're going to get hit by the person driving the lane so that you can help your team. And Jesus is calling us to do the same thing. To put yourself in the lane. To potentially take a hit so that you can help your team, the kingdom of God, team Jesus. Making yourself vulnerable. Like I said before, it's not easy. It's going to cause you pain. There is a price to pay. But I can also tell you this, it's worth it. Because in football, in basketball, in sports, Unless you're willing to play as a team and unless you're willing to make yourself vulnerable, you'll never win. And the kingdom of God needs each and every one of us to win. God wants you to be playing on his team, to be working and striving to bring God's love to bear on a hurt and broken world. Just like he did just like he did when he came from heaven and made himself vulnerable as a child. We can learn to love deeply, to draw out the sweetness in any situation, relationship, even cultural challenges. But it's going to take small acts of practice. And this practice, practicing love, it's like, has anybody here ever done what they call line drills? Like, in, in basketball, you do lines, and so like, you go to the first line, and then you go to the second line, and then you go to the third line, and, then, and you just keep going. And, like, I always remember, like, the first day of practice, um, Coach Howell, who was my, my basketball coach, he would do that until we puked or passed out or, like, fell down. Like, if you fall down, you can be done. If you throw up, you can be done. But until then, keep going. Just to see kind of what condition you're at. And then they, they tell you see how many lines you can do. And then at the end of the season, he has you do it again and see how you've built up your conditioning and how you've improved. But it takes practice, and it takes conditioning. So does love. Love takes practice. Love takes conditioning. Love takes work. It takes being humble. If we want to change a nation, we have to start by accepting someone who's not like us ethnically, socially, spiritually, politically, like those small acts of love, me sitting down with someone who's like in direct opposition to me, maybe on some issue or other, 
and trying to understand what their heart is. You know, it always amazes me like Christians, right? We, we all follow Jesus. We're, you know, Paul, as we were talking about earlier, talks about us being one in spirit, right? And yet, even as Christians, we can be like so opposed to each other that we attack each other. It's like we're one of the few species that like eats their own. You know, it's like we'll just destroy each other to like prove some point or have some or about some issue. And like we forget that Jesus is ascendant, that Jesus is king, and we all serve under him at his pleasure, that Jesus is Lord. And does that mean he's Lord of everything in me? It does. It means he's Lord of everything. Like all of it. And so, like, if we share Jesus, we should always become able to come to some kind of, like, understanding, some kind of common ground, even if we don't end up agreeing with each other. We should at least be able to say, you know what, but you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ. And that unifies us. And that common connection of serving Jesus should be more important than anything else in our life. It should be more important than any politics, race, religion, um, you know, socioeconomics. That unifying factor that we are all under the kingdom of God and that Jesus is our king and is our Lord should be a point of unity that in the church we can be different than the rest of the world. That in the church we can have diversity of thought and opinion and idea because we're all under the king. And so no matter where you stand on X, Y, or Z issue, Jesus is Lord. And ultimately that binds us all together. That Jesus is King and Jesus is Lord. Through humility, I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon, through humility, humbling ourselves, through humility, some have even possessed the gates of their enemies. For which of the virtues is so mighty to subdue the pride of demons and the tyranny of men? Charles Spurgeon. Humility allows us the capacity to love, I believe, where we typically would not be able to. To where we typically would not be able to. See, if we can learn to be humble, as Jesus was, if you think about it, going from king of heaven to a baby in a manger, that is a supreme act of humility. The humility of being king of heaven. I literally spoke creation into being. I assembled the atoms and the molecules together to form life. And then I breathed my living will into that flesh and gave it soul and gave it being. The God who did that and then allowed himself to be humbled to the point where he hung on a cross and he bled and was tortured and died for each and every one of us. That he would humble, he would go from that creator of the universe, Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He who is I am, the God of the universe going from that to being willing to allow his body to be crushed and bruised and beaten 
and humbled to the point of death for your sake. That is a supreme act of humility. How can we not learn humility ourselves? If we say that we follow Jesus and we want to be like Jesus, we have to learn humility. And the crazy thing is, as Spurgeon is talking about the spiritual reality, the crazy thing is that when we approach someone with humility, where they might not hear you before, they will listen. And if you're trying to speak to them and you're you like you can't come to a meeting of the minds, you just can't. Like, you you wrestle with them. Has anybody, like, it can't just be me. Has anybody ever had somebody who, like, it's like every time you talk to them, it's work. Right? Like, it's like, okay, I'm going to go into this. I'm going to speak with them. Lord, help me. Right? I mean, like, I just, I know that, like, we're just in different, we, we exist in different universes. You know, there's. Mars and Jupiter, you know, we're just on different planets and we're trying to understand each other. And every time we try to communicate, it's just work. I found this principle that Spurgeon is talking about and what Jesus did. I found in my own life that if I can learn to be humble, if I can learn to set down my pride, if I can not assume that everything I know is right and everything they know is wrong. Like, and just across the board, if something's coming out of their mouth, it's full of stank. If I can learn to humble myself and truly listen and have the heart of Jesus and have love and empathy and forgiveness going in, Walls begin to break down. Gates begin to be captured. Because what was the first sin? Pride. The first sin recorded in Scripture is that of pride. Lucifer himself had pride before the Lord and God cast him down out of heaven. It was pride. It's the first and one of the most powerful sins that afflict us all is pride. That's part of why we're doing this series on the humble king. Because Jesus functioned completely in an opposite spirit of pride. Jesus came to earth in the opposite spirit of pride. His whole life was a humble life. It says that the Son of, Man, the Son of God had no place with which to lay his head. He didn't even have a home. He had no property. He relied on others for his food and for his sustenance, for places to stay. He had nothing. The God of the universe. He, he like, could have spoke a mansion into being, right? Like, he had that power. He could have commanded the angels to, like, make him a duplex for him and the disciples if he needed to, right? Like, you know, he could have done lots of things. He chose to be humble. And we so forget, like, we get so wrapped up in us that we forget that. Let's continue on. Dear friends, 
Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. How do we show people Jesus? We show them love. That's what it says right here in 1 John. It says in the Holy Scripture that we show others God by showing them love. We show others God by humbling ourselves. We show others God by extending forgiveness. We show others God by giving them grace. We show others God by having compassion and kindness and love. That is how they see God. There's this quote by um, Maya Angelou, and I may mess it up. I didn't write it down, but it, I'm just remembering it in the moment. It goes something like this. Many times people will forget the words that you've said to them, but they will never forget how you made them. And that is truth. My wife, my son, I can, I, I'm sure I said words yesterday to my son telling him that I loved him. It was his birthday yesterday telling him that I loved him, that I was proud of him, that I cared about him. He won't remember those next week, right? Odds are he will not remember the words I said. They're not going to stick in his brain. I remember... Uh, Christy and I at our wedding, I can't tell you what the priest and pastors said. Like, I can't tell you anything, really, from what they said. I just don't remember. You know, I just did a wedding last week. They're not going to remember the words I said. But I know that I was loved. And that they loved me. And that they served me. I can't, like, tell you specific phrases or words and like even gifts or things that my parents said growing up. I don't, I can't remember. Like I have a bad memory anyway. And like, that's like even worse, especially trying to remember when I was young. But you know what? I know they loved me. And I remember that. I felt that. Love's eternal. Love is without end. When this world fades away and it is all dust and there's nothing left, love will continue. Love will carry on. Love is eternal. The love, the grace, the forgiveness, the compassion, the humility, these things that we extend to one another when words have faded away and words are nothing but dust, that will remain because that is eternal. 
and that is forever. God's love for us is without end. When we're, in heaven, when we're gone, when we're dead, when we're in heaven, the words of Scripture will have no more meaning. I know that sounds crazy. It's not heretical, I promise. But God's salvation, His act of love, will continue on into eternity because Jesus is the fulfillment of those words. And His salvation, what He did for us on the cross, that act is eternal. When the words fade away, when the digital image that I use for my Bible on my phone is gone, when the, when the, you know, the first Gutenberg Bible has been burned up and turned to dust because the earth exists no more, and those words are gone. The meaning behind them, the intent behind these words, the, what God is communicating to us, the acts that Jesus did here on the earth, those will be forever. Those will last without end. And so it is with us. What we do, the love we share with each other, is eternal and will last. And I encourage you, some of us, you're like, you know, what can I do for God? I, I don't speak well, or I don't have any great you know, musical ability like Ryan does. Or I can't, you know, there's all these things I can't do, right? We all, all of us have these things. I mean, like, I would probably give, like, my left arm to be able to, like, play music well. I would be a one-armed musician, but that's okay. If God made up the difference, it's going to be worth it. But, like, like I, I would give, I, I would, I'm telling you right now, I would give that up. To, to have that innate ability of like a Mozart. I, in a minute. Like I would do that in a minute. And I'm sure some of you have things in your head, I wish I could do X, Y, or Z, right? God has created you and instilled in you gifts and abilities that are particular to you. And that he wants you to use to advance his kingdom. He's just waiting on your yes. All he's waiting for is your yes. And he's put those things in you to show his love. It says in the scripture that by showing that love, people see God. It says no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So in us, God's love can be expressed, and God's kingdom can be advanced. Um, one of my favorite quotes by St. Francis of Assisi is, uh, Preach Christ at all times, and only when necessary, use words. Preach Christ at all times, and only when necessary, use words. Your life, how you love people, how you care for one another, preaches the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're working with kids, if you're working in the medical field, if you're working in hospitality, if you're working in janitorial where you're cleaning up after other people, 
if you're working in a craft or a field, wherever it is that God has called you to, you are bringing the kingdom of God and His love to bear into those people and into that situation, and you are bringing Jesus into those places with you. And in your service and how you're serving others, you are serving the Almighty God of heaven. And your reward will be insane. Not that that's why we do it. It's just that God says it exists. If you're driving a truck, if you're counseling people, if you're a teacher, if you bake, whatever it is, that's my favorite way to show love is I bake. Like, I love you. Here's some cookies. I love you. Here's some carbs and sugar. I just, I don't know, my love language is carbs and sugar. I, I don't know why, it just is. Uh, I think I have like a southern grandma that lives inside of me. And every once in a while, she manifests herself. And I bake, I bake things. All the butter, all the sugar. Make it brown so that it's extra safe. You know, I just, that's my love language. But whatever it is you do, do it with love. And you are bringing the kingdom of God to bear on our world. And you are making a difference in the kingdom of God. And you are advancing the cause of Jesus Christ. And that's my encouragement to you in this Christmas season and as we're going out today, is how I want you to, to think about, you're going to, some of you, as I was praying this morning, and here, take a drink before I continue on here, right? Some of you this this week, not everybody's Christmas is pretty. Not everybody's Christmas is Hallmark. Not everybody's Christmas is Burl Ives singing while, you know, little kids are grabbing presents and, and Santa's ho-ho-hoing and, you know, all the beautiful food is out. Not everybody's Christmas is like that. For some of us, our Christmas is lonely. For some of us, our Christmas, we're walking into a minefield every time we're with our family. For some of us, we're hurting. We're in pain. For some of us, we're missing someone, that there's an empty spot at the table. For some of us, we just we can't, like there's this expectation that we have to spend a million dollars to say that we love somebody, and we just don't have it, and so we feel less than. We feel worthless because we're not able to, like, buy the new, you know, shiny car with the bow on it. You know, like, I don't know. I think if Christy made a financial decision like that without me, I'd actually be upset, not happy. <laughs> like, look, I just put us in debt 16K. Merry Christmas. Here's a bow. Um, you know. But I mean, you know, we we all not all of us are going into this Christmas season with things being perfect and with things being beautiful and amazing. And for some of us, we actually like have like as a, like I said, I was praying for you guys this morning. There's actually a, like a this le a level of anxiety and angst about Christmas. And um, what, what I felt like I was supposed to speak to you this morning as I was praying for you guys, anybody who's like wrestling with some of these things, um, is that God loves you. 
the Holy Spirit is with you, and to remember that Christmas is about God's love, not all this other stuff that we attach to it. And God's only expectation of you is that you love others and allow others to love you. That's all he wants from you for Christmas season, you guys. That's it. Is it that simple? It's that simple. Love and be loved. That's Christmas. All this other stuff that we attach to it is fun. I'm a, I'm a lover of Christmas. I, I love Christmas. I grew up watching Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Claymation. Uh, stop motion and you know Snoopy and I remember going out to my grandma's house out in West Valley and sledding down her hill out there in the pasture and like I have all those memories okay I have that stuff I was blessed by God with beautiful Christmas memories and yet I have to be humble enough to recognize that that is not everyone's experience and not everybody had that kind of Christmas. And God calls for us to have compassion and empathy and kindness for everyone. And not to put my expectations on somebody else. Right? So again, my final encouragement to you is what it says here in 1 John. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, for no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Make that your Christmas mission. Make that your Christmas goal to show God's love to everybody you encounter, particularly those people working retail because they're getting their tails kicked in. Like as you're encountering people, have patience, show kindness, give love, over tip. Help somebody out. If a mom has a little kiddo crying in front of you and all they want is the toy that she has in the basket and they're not giving it to her until Christmas time and they're freaking out, Love them. Be Jesus. Be Jesus. I'm going to pray a blessing over you guys, and I'm going to let you go. Uh, I, on purpose, wanting to end a little bit early today because I know some of you guys are traveling. I know some of you are going different places. Thank you for coming this morning. Uh, we will be having our, our New Year's service uh, this next Sunday, we're going to be talking about Jesus, the humble King of Heaven, talking about Jesus, the King, Jesus, the Lord, Jesus, the Lord of Heaven, and kind of talking about what that looks like. So I was just letting them go by. They must have studs on because those wheels sound really fun. Sorry, I got distracted. But what I'd like to do is pray a blessing over you guys for this Christmas season coming up. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
Lord God, I ask for your blessing on everyone here. Lord, may we be your Amagio Dei, your image bearers, that we would bear the image of God as we go and encounter our friends, as we go and encounter our families, Lord God. Lord, may we bring your love to bear into each situation, Lord God. Lord, could we be on the lookout for those who are brokenhearted? Could we be on the lookout for those that are hurting? Lord, can we be on the lookout for those who are unreasonably lashing out at us? Lord, those who don't seem to know love themselves. God, would you show us how to function with humility? Lord, our whole world steers us towards pride. Our whole world world steers us towards our rights. Our whole society drives us towards achievement and what worldly success looks like and commercialism and money and power. And Lord, all of the things that you shun is what our, our society drives us towards. Jesus, would you show us your way? Jesus, would you bless us with your heart in Christmas? Jesus, as you humbled yourself and became a helpless child, you went from God of the universe to being a helpless child that had to rely on others to care for you. You who spoke everything into being at the beginning of all that was made it so that you had to rely on others to even live. Jesus, would you teach us even just a small measure of that same humility, God? And Lord, steer us towards love. Lord, would you bless our hearts and our minds and our spirits with such an overpowering sense of your love, God, that we overcome the world, Lord Jesus. And Lord, that we share the good news that is Jesus Christ by our actions and by our love. Lord, may the difference in us be so profound that people have to try to figure out what the heck's going on. May the difference in us be so profound, the love in us be so ascendant, Lord God, that people, that we confuse people with our love, Lord God, because it is so prominent, Jesus. So, Lord, I just ask for your blessing on each and every one here, Lord God. Lord, we thank you for all you've done for us. Lord, may we give a small measure of that back to you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. May God bless each and every one of you. Um, Yeah. Carry Jesus with you.